Paul would start his letter to the Ephesians in the same way that I want to start this morning. He would say this, Ephesians 1.1, greetings to God's holy people in Ephesus, to which I want to say, greetings to God's holy people of new hope, the faithful in Christ Jesus. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? Doing good. Welcome all the campuses. Come on, welcome them. I'm talking about Kenya, Columbia, Sanford, Durham campus, Coffee House campus, Hillsboro, North Raleigh, the Internet campus, those who are streaming online, and the Garner campus in the Water Tower town. One more time, all of our campuses. Welcome the saints of God, the holy people. And by the way, I don't just say that lightly. Like when I refer to you as holy people, some of you are like, what you talking about? Um, you don't know me. No, 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 no. I, I realize we all got stuff, but on this particular subject that we've been talking about, you show and embody unbelievable maturity, and you see that in Ephesians, and you'll see that today as we read this text. You are one of the far and few mature, faithful communities of faith around this particular subject. Secondly, I want to say to all the campuses, Durham as well, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Um, happy Mother's Day to my wife, who is also our anniversary yesterday. That woman has put up with me for 22 years. You can do better than that, church. Give her some love. 22 years she's put up with me. Wow is right. She is a saint of the living God. Hey, um, can I just take a few moments of uh, personal privilege here before we get into the message today? I just want to thank the personnel team, and I want to thank our church family. You've heard two announcements now over the last couple of months. Um, I want to thank the personnel team for the three-month sabbatical that they have granted me this summer. And uh, I think most of you have heard that. If not, you just happened to miss the two uh, Sundays that we've announced that over the course of the last two months. But next Sunday, a week from today, is uh, my last Sunday for the summer. And I just wanted to say thank you for such a gift. I really feel like I need it and I'm excited about seizing that. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you who've kind of come out of the woodwork who you've encouraged me. You've not only encouraged me in this series that we're in right now before I, I step out of this post for three months, but you've also encouraged me in the sabbatical and you've, you've articulated your support of that. And it means a lot. And I keep getting this question, what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, I'm gonna sit on the couch and eat Doritos all summer. That's what I'm gonna do. No, no, no. Um, I'm, I plan to uh, read through the Bible again. Uh, Genesis to Revelation is my goal. I have 11 books uh, picked out already on my desk, stacked up that high that I plan to read. Um, I plan to disconnect from technology for a lot of the summer and really just uh, disconnect from the hustle and the bustle of the world. I will spend a lot. I will spend a lot of time in the woods. You know, I love the woods and I have a place down in the woods with a cross and I'll spend a lot of time on the water. I love the water or where I'm from water. Um, so, and I know for some of you, that sounds like hell, you know, to be in the woods and to be on the water. But for me, that's, that's a blessing to me. I plan to do that. Um, 
I hope to spend quality time with my kids, um, all five of them, but particularly the three that are going off to college. One went off last year, Anna Grace, to Carolina, but my, my twin boys are going off to college this fall. Um, most of you don't know this, but um, my, one of my twin boys, Wesley Jacob, has decided to go to the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, which is an incredibly reputable uh, military school, and I'm so proud of him. And my other son, Benjamin, is going to the University of South Carolina, my undergrad alma mater, so I'm very proud of both of those boys. He's been accepted into the Capstone Scholar Program there, and they're both going to South Carolina, which is where I'm from, so I really need a South Carolina address to get some in-state tuition. And I just have not figured out a way to pull that off and still be a man of integrity. But I would lie to you if I didn't tell you I have thought about it. <laughs> uh, I'm so proud of those two twins. They are two young, scrapping, amazing men of God. And I'm really, really proud of them as I was Anna Grace as we released last year. Uh, we were moving Anna Grace from college to our home uh, for the summer the other day. Glory to God, the home is back. Awesome. She's back in it. All of us are there. But we're moving her. I'm carrying boxes out of like, I think it's the fourth floor of Arian House, which is where she stayed this year. I'm carrying boxes. All six of us are helping Anna Grace move home. And I'm carrying a big box and I'm walking towards the elevator because who wants to do the stairs, right? But I have this epiphany in that moment. I've got five kids. No, 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 no. This, this about knocked me off the fourth floor. They're going to all go to college. I would, will, I'd be willing to bet the farm. That means I've got to move them in and out every year. Do the flipping math. I will be moving my kids on and off campuses at college 40 times. Five times four, for those of you not quite with me, is 20 <laughs> times two times a year, 40. <laughs> oh, God help me. I can see two men in a truck coming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what you talking about? Um, um, I plan to uh, move them in, spend quality time with them, plan to do some trips with them. I plan to do a little soul care. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, work, I'm a work in progress. I have come nowhere near arriving. So I'm going to do some soul care. I'm going to do some life planning development stuff through the year 2024, which is when Amy Lynn and I will be uh, have an empty nest. Um, I will be speaking twice this summer. One is in Los Angeles, and some of you are giving me a hard time about speaking at Insight, but one is in Los Angeles. You're like, that's not sabbatical. What are you doing teaching? I know, forgive me, grace abounds. Uh, preaching at a church, uh, my good friend Gene Apple, Eastside Church in LA, and then I will be preaching here at Insight, Insight, and I wanted to say that because that's where I wanna meet you. I wanna meet you back here for Insight. You don't want to miss Insight 2017. Write this down on your teaching notes, July 14th and 15th, and watch this video. I'm telling you, church, you want to be here, and I created Insight with you in mind, not just pastors all over the Southeast and even the country. Check it out. Hey, I'm Pastor Benji Kelly from New Hope Church, and I wanted to invite you to join us this summer at Insight 17. This is an annual leadership conference that we host right here in Durham, North Carolina. 
And this year, I could not be more thrilled about the topic and the theme of the conference. We're going to be talking about redefining success. And by that, I mean the idea of being faithful wherever you are. The idea of being resilient wherever you are. And the idea of not getting caught up in the comparison trap. We have an amazing list of keynote speakers, highly respected authors and leaders, probably some that you have already followed. I'm talking about Keith Lloyd, who is the senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Keith planted this church and has led an amazing movement of God. I'm talking about my good friend Derwin Gray, who is the senior pastor at Transformation Church right outside of Charlotte. And I'm talking about Perry Noble, a man that I have really gotten to know lately and who I deeply respect for the way in which he is navigating a tricky season to the glory and the honor of God. And as always, God has a leadership talk brewing inside of me that I cannot wait to deliver. Mark your calendars. The conference is Friday night, July 14th, and Saturday, July 15th, here at our Durham campus. This is a top-notch lineup of speakers, so you want to go register right away. Hey, and check it out. If you register now, it's just $49 per person for the entire conference. Where in the world can you get this kind of conference for $49? And check it out, if you are a pastor or you are a senior leader somewhere or you're a leader in the marketplace, if you bring 10 or more people with you, we are going to throw in a complimentary ticket for you. Go to InsightConference.com and register today. We can't wait to have you at Insight 17. All right, all right. When is it? July 14th and the 15th, register today. If you register in the rotunda or the lobbies at any of our campuses, we are going to uh, throw in a lunch voucher for you because, again, we want new hopers to be here. I just registered for a conference that I'm going to go to this summer. $289 is the going rate for a conference. We keep ours incredibly affordable because I want new hopers and pastors around the country to join me. And I would love to meet you back here for that conference, July 14th and 15th. Amen? Amen. Would you stand in honor of God's word? If you were here last week, you know that we started a series on race, seeing grace through the lens, or seeing race, I should say, through the lens of grace. We were in Ephesians 2 last week. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4 today. If you love the word of the Lord, let me hear you saying amen. Wow. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Gentiles, okay? Look at your neighbor right now at all of our campuses and say, that's you. That's you. Unless you're a Jew. Ooh, that rhymes. I'm a poet. And I didn't even know it. I make them rhyme every time. <laughs> this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Don't miss that. Through the gospel, 
the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of what? One body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now listen closely. This is gonna be revolutionary for some of you to understand, but this is one of those cases in the Bible where the New Testament says, Jesus has come to correct, to fix that which you experienced in the Old Testament. His, that is Jesus' intent was that now through the what? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Chapter four, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely, what? And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in what? Love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What a great phrase. Unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Read this next part with me. There is, ready, go. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let the church say amen. amen. And then the apostle starts to lay out. He starts to lay out the roles of leadership in the church and what my role is and what others' roles are. Verse 11. So, won't you read that so well? Won't you continue with me? So Christ himself gave the, 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 and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you love the word of the Lord, praise God. And you can be seated. So Paul cut his teeth in Antioch and spread out to launch new churches. That was Paul's calling. He was a church planter. And by the way, I can't help but say this, but if Paul were here today, he would absolutely love the multi-site movement. Like campuses, you should know. If Paul was here, do you think he would get on a ship where he would be shipwrecked? beaten, enslaved, or do you think he'd say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you stream this message to all the campuses? Paul would love the model of church we are. But as he started out launching these churches, Paul was intent and intentional to make sure he was launching multi-ethnic, beautifully diverse communities of faith. And moreover, Paul said early on, this is God's intent in Christ, which was now the old way, just the Jewish people, just ancient Israel because of Christ. And if you were here last week, I drew it out on the board, a timeline, and I drew the cross. And for Paul in the New Testament, the cross is paradigmatic. It is epic. It is everything. And at the cross, Paul would say that Israel has now become the church. And God, through the power of the gospel 
and what he did on the cross, God has flung open the doors of the church and invited brown man and woman, white man and woman, black man and woman, and every other beautiful shade of humanity. God has now invited them in. Praise God to be the body of Christ. And we should know as we live this out, we are fighting against principalities and darkness. You don't have to look now, but you ought to go read Ephesians 6. We're studying Ephesians 2, 3, and 4, the new humanity. But isn't it interesting that the book that Paul lays out this biblical vision for the multi-ethnic church is the very same book that at the end of the book, Ephesians chapter 6, he says, by the way, we are in a war. And we are fighting against the spiritual forces of darkness. And make no mistake about it, Satan himself loves to keep the ethnicities, the ethnos, all the ethnicities of the world, Satan loves to keep us bickering and fighting and cutting and killing. And God's vision is no, 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 no. In the gospel, we are all one. What am I trying to say? I think of my granddaddy. My granddaddy was born in um, Charleston, South Carolina. That's where my grandparents came from. That's where my family was originally from, even though I grew up in Sumter. But anytime I would bring a girlfriend to meet my grandparents, my granddaddy would look at her and within five minutes of the conversation, and some of you are going to remember this phrase. You might've heard it. It's a deep Southern phrase. My granddaddy would look at my girlfriend, or if I just brought a friend over and he'd say, Who's your people? <laughs> Who's your people? It, it was my granddaddy's way of trying to identify where they came from. What was their bloodline? What side of the tracks maybe were they raised on? Were they local? Were they from somewhere else? And Paul comes along and says, I'll answer that question for you. Who's your people? Who's your people? Who's your people? Who's your people? Your people is the church of Jesus Christ. Regardless of skin color, if you are in Christ, the Bible is saying to us, your people are all people if they are in Christ. Your people, listen, we are kin by the blood of Jesus, not by our own bloodline with our family. That's our kinfolk. So I ask you, who's your people? Everybody around you right now. Everybody around you right now. Church, we have to understand that the tension between the Jew and the Gentile in the first century was not unlike the tension we see in our country amongst the races. Let me just walk you through a little bit of history and then I'm gonna invite a very special person on the stage to join me. If a Jewish man saw a Gentile woman giving birth in the first century, it was absolutely wrong and even sinful for him to even think about helping her give birth because in the Jewish mind, you would never bring another Gentile into the world. There was a saying in the first century where the Jews would say this, the Gentiles, the only purpose for the Gentiles on planet earth was to serve as fuel in the fires of hell. It was such animosity and tension. You would never, if you were a Jew, go in the home of a Gentile. 
because that would make you unclean. And so that just gives me a chance to acknowledge that this topic is one that might be ruffling some feathers. It is a topic that might be causing you to squirm a little bit and maybe check your own biases and your own tendencies. But I, for one, love a quote by Oscar Romero. This says this, a church that doesn't provoke any crisis, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, the word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of society, what gospel is that? Isn't that a great quote? So we lay ourselves as we go after this subject, we lay ourselves bare before God and we say, God, we praise God that we have a multi-ethnic, beautifully diverse church all over the Carolinas and beyond. Can I hear an amen? We're thankful for that. But we're not, come on, come on. We're not so naive to think that we don't have our own proclivities and biases and prejudices that we still need to work on. If you believe that, can I get an amen? So I wanna give you a little application. And then again, I got a special guest. I think you're gonna love her. Four points of application. Take out your teaching notes. I'm gonna fly through these so fast. We need wise sensitivity. If we're gonna keep going after this subject, if we're gonna keep being the church that God is calling us to be, we need wise sensitivity. We need to be incredibly sensitive to people who are different than us. I've said before, you know what? I don't care about being politically correct. I wanna be biblically correct, amen? But come on, let's be honest. Political correctness in its right way, now it gets carried away today, but by and large, political correctness started because we needed to increase a little bit of sensitivity. And the Bible helps us do that. It's why the Bible says this, Ephesians 4, 2. Read it out loud with me. Ready, go. Be completely humble and be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Number two. Oh, my Lord, I hope everybody gets this. We need personal ownership. If you come out of this series and you haven't confessed some sin and repented and, and committed to God that I'm going to do better in this area, regardless of your skin color, I think you're probably missing the mark. We have a core value at New Hope Church amongst our staff. It's called own your stuff. And we believe that we all need to own our stuff. And here's what every single person here needs to understand today. Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. Everybody in this room falls short of the glory of God. Every single person. We are all sinners and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And when it comes to this particular issue, none of us are fully sanctified. None of us are fully sanctified. Number three, I just love this one. You do with it what you want. I think we need good old-fashioned kindness. I, whatever happened to kindness in the world? It seems that our world is becoming increasingly violent and mean-spirited. Call me old-fashioned if you want, but whatever happened to good old-fashioned kindness? 
I uh, studied a lot of Frederick Beekner when I was in seminary. And here's one of my favorite quotes by him. He says this, although kindness is not the same as holiness, it is awfully close. Just be kind to people. Hey, have any of you started speaking to people different than you? Maybe a little more so since last Sunday? Good, thank you for blessing me. I told you to be intentional and speak to people. And number four, we need humble kindness, uh, humble listening. I'm still stuck on kindness. We need humble listening. Sometimes the best thing we can do is zip our mouth shut and open up our ears. Another one of my granddaddy's maxims was, son, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Any of y'all ever hear that growing up? My granddaddy, and he had paused and he had this little stuttering thing going on. There. You need to listen twice as much as you talk. Humble listening. And as a white man, I'll go ahead and say, we need to probably listen more so than anyone. And I have invited Gracie Lopez to join me on the stage today. Gracie Johnson Lopez. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a native of North Carolina. Gracie Johnson Lopez brings almost 30 years of diverse business background to include human resources, operations, and diversity. Currently, Gracie serves as the president and senior consultant with her company, Diversity and HR Solutions. Most recently, she served for 13 years as the senior vice president of HR and administration at North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company. Prior to joining NCM, Gracie was a professional diversity consultant. She also served as the human resource director for the School of Science and mathematics in the Department of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. Gracie's professional career, this is an impressive bio. Gracie's professional career also includes serving as a career center director and senior employment recruiter with the Duke University Employment Office. Gracie holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Public Administration from NCCU and a Master's of Art degree in Liberal Studies. She is active in the community, serving on various boards and committees, as well as her church's trustees board to include board president, Durham Technical Community College Foundation, governance chair, dress for success of the triangle, board advisor, and black women in business in North Carolina. I told her you were a wonderfully warm and loving community of faith as you are, and you would welcome her on the stage as we have a heart-to-heart conversation. Would you give it up? And welcome Gracie Johnson Lopez. Thank you. Thank you. I told you they're a friendly group. They are, my goodness. Even though they're a little reserved today. A little quiet, a little subdued today, a little reserved, um, but I know they're leaning into the conversation. So I met you this week, and uh, Gracie was introduced to me by one of our faithful new hopers, Kim Blair. 
And so she and I met this week, and I knew, and I told her this five minutes into the conversation. I was like, I want you on the stage with me on Sunday. Um, we, we first contacted each other. I contacted her about two weeks ago, and uh, she visited our church last Sunday. She's kind of she's looking for a church. And um, you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? I didn't. She, she told me that. <laughs> And so she visited our church last Sunday, and I would be interested, and I'm sure they would too, to, to hear you say, what was your experience like? What was it like to be here last Sunday? First, thank you for having me here and inviting me. Um, my husband is here with me. We came last Sunday. It was not at all what we expected. I've got to tell you, from the moment I walked in and I saw the Starbucks, it's like, really, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful facility, but more importantly, once we entered in and you all were already into praise and worship, mm. you could just feel, feel the spirit of the Lord. And I thought, oh my goodness. But what, and, we, and I continued to talk about it and I shared it on my Facebook page and I tweeted it out. But what really was amazing, Pastor um, Benji, was to hear the authentic and the bold and the courageous way you talked about race. Mm. I've been in church all my life, but I've never heard in church, in the context of church, someone take it on. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to God, because that's got to be a God thing. All my life I've been in church and never heard it. Thank you, New Hope. Thanks. One of the things, um, and this is why the fourth point that I just laid out is so important to transition to Gracie, was we all need humble listening. Gracie, um, and that's what I want to do today. I just want to host you and I want to listen to you. And one of the reasons why I just said, and this, probably, this might have ruffled some of your feathers, just three minutes ago I said, you know, as a white man, we, we should be the first to humble ourselves. And listen, let me unpack that a little bit for a moment. And it gets me to this question. As a white man, I have always been keenly aware of the fact that I live this thing called life in America from a privileged position. Now, if you don't agree with that, you really need to stop smoking crack. <laughs> because that is just, the, like, I've never had anybody follow me into a department store to wonder whether or not I was going to steal something. I've never been profiled on the highway. I've never, I, we, white man, white woman, we, we just live from a privileged position, and, and that's just reality. As an African-American sister who grew up in North Carolina, what, what and how did race and racism impact your life? Just kind of walk us through that a little okay. bit. Um, I grew up on a farm in Creepmore, not too far from here, and this was in the 60s when the world was quite different, uh, talking about racism being very explicit and, and, and very, and I experienced a lot of painful things, and um, I shared with Pastor Benji, you know, my parents, in trying to make sure that they prepared my sister and I for the real world, gave us two messages. You can be and do anything you'd like to do. And stay in your place. Know your place. Hold on. You can be whatever you want to be. Right. But what? Stay in your stay place. Stay in your place. What, is that, what did that mean for you? What Absolutely. That... Can you? That was the question. At seven and eight, there's a duality in that message that a seven or eight, nine, ten-year-old, you can't not necessarily understand what it means. It's like someone telling you to go, the sky's the limit, and hold, stay over here. Mm. Right? But going, getting back to respond to your question, Racism has shaped every aspect of my life. It determines how I parent my child, 
my children, right? What I told my son, um, how to um, prepare for the world. Some of that same message, right? Um, it determined my economic status. It determined what my salary was going to be compared to perhaps a person, a white person, doing the similar job with the similar experience. It, it prepared me and it shaped uh, my sense of responsibility. What I mean by that is, at an early age, I came to understand through teaching, um, whether it be in the church, in my community, and within my family, that to understand who I am, you've got to work a little bit harder, you've mm. got to run a little bit harder. Mm. When you're knocked down, you've got to get back up, right? Come on now. And so, how do you do that? And I'm going to fast forward. So, I was a confused young person, and I shared this with Pastor Benji early. Um, this is going to really date me. But when I was about 14, James Brown came out with, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. All right. Come now, on I now. like the melody, right? Say it loud, I'm what? I'm black and I'm proud. Now, right. my African-American people can do it better than that. <laughs> say it loud, I'm what? Ooh, I love it. It still sounds good. We need, a, we need to get some James Brown up in here. <laughs> we didn't know when you were going to go there. Yeah. We'd have played a James Brown song up in here. <laughs> I'm trying to stay holy. Okay. So, <laughs> help me out here. <laughs> but the essence of that song, the re it resonated with me, right? It's mm. almost like it opened a door. There was something about it that validated who I was in terms of my race, because in some way it was suppressed, yes. you know, in a nice yes. little box, but suppressed. Didn't fully grasp it, but fast forward. So at this point in time, I'm on. I'm on the black thing, and I want to know all about our history, and I want to understand slavery and racism. Fast forward, and then I am I'm in college, and I'm a young woman, but I'm angry, right? Mm. I'm experienced, I've experienced things as a child. Now I'm seeing it, and I'm feeling it in the workplace, in school. Mm. I did my graduate work at Duke. Oftentimes, I was the only African-American in the class. Mm. You know, it's, it's to, one thing to have a voice or be invited to a dance. It's a whole nother thing to be asked to dance when you get there. So I'm dealing with exclusion. Mm. I'm dealing with exclusion on every hand. And listen, for me, and I think for many of us, we don't know how to deal with that. We're in church, we've been, we're loved by our parents, we're in church and we're taught, you know, to be loving and to be forgiven. But every day, every day when I get up and go out into the world, people are seeing me through a lens of a black woman. And there's a value statement with that. And I'm having to navigate that. So there was a time when I was very angry. And what was fueling that angry was the hurt and pain associated with exclusion. And just seeing people that look like me constantly not given a fair shake. Sometimes by the people that I considered as my friends who happened to be white, but there was always this standard that just fell short. So depending on what the situation, there was a rage that was just beneath the surface, but I needed to be able to conceal it. I needed to be able to somehow function as a professional and be calm and soft-spoken to be accepted and many times deny who I very much who I am, you know, my voice and how I present. So racism has shaped every aspect of my life. But I want to leave it there and then I want to just bring it full circle because God is an amazing God. Mm. You know, I talked about being angry, almost out of rage at one point. Let me tell you what God did with that, mm. all right? 
First of all, I can't believe I'm sitting here at New Hope on the stage with Pastor Benjamin. How cool is that, right? Okay. <laughs> this is pretty cool stuff. Anyway, um, the work that I do now, which he shared, is that God took all of those experiences, as painful as they've been, mm. the opportunities that were denied, and he defined my purpose. It has all come together. I actually get paid to do what I love, which is mm. go into organizations and help people and talk about race and other aspects of diversity. Because you know what? Oftentimes when we talk about this thing, race, there's a couple of places we all go. And by the way, it's not a one-way street. When I talk about race, it's not just racism at the hands of white. Mm. That's there. Mm. That's real. But you know what? There's something called reverse racism. We, we, yeah, we right? talked about it last week, how it's splintered off all over the place. Now. Absolutely. And you got all ethnicities being racist and mean and violent to, to each other. Absolutely. And you know what? We have to first, and I, you are so on the mark. We have to start with ourselves. May I just share this quick story about what happened sure. in church about three weeks ago? As he's already told you, my husband and I have been kind of looking for a church. All those in favor of Gracie <laughs> and her husband landing at New Hope Church say aye. Wow. <laughs> All, all those opposed, you can leave now. Um, just, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. That's amazing. But we, I won't call the name of the church, but we visited a church close to our home, and, and I, we rushed in, and I saw a seat on the aisle. They were already, you know, in full praise and worship, and I thought, oh, I can just sit there, and I rushed to the seat, and I went to put my purse down because yeah. everybody was standing, and the woman that was sitting next to the seat where I was going to sit, a white woman, looked like she may have been in her 60s, just didn't, and I'm kind of smiling, you know, I'm excited. And she just moved her purse, just no eye contact, but just body language. Was, and I thought, so for the next 10 to 15 minutes, through the praise and worship until we were seated and the pastor began talking, I wasn't listening. You were an angry black woman again, oh, weren't you? Oh, I was living. I was, you know what I thought, Pastor Benji? I was like, really? In the church, can I not yeah. come to worship without yeah. this stuff? Sure. Right? Now, mind you, I've been on this journey for 25 years, but here I was, and it took me forever to shake it off. I'm going to fast forward to the end, because here's what's amazing. About 10 minutes before the worship experience closed, the pastor called for all the prayer deacons and the leaders to come down. The husband, who had his arm around this woman who had moved her purse, kind of just really Look, made eye contact with me and said, would you watch her? And he got up to go down to the altar. And I thought, watch her? Wow. She needs to watch me. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's the deal, though, just because of shortness of time. It turns out that the woman had dementia. Mm -hmm. By the time before we broke up, her head was on my shoulder. Wow. My arms was around her. The spirit had convicted me. Let me tell you what I saw and heard. For every time I walked in a department store and somebody watched me too long, for every, for every microaggression or every time I've been insulted, devalued, or left out, all of it was there, that one movement. My lens, my filter, right? Wow. I saw that. I brought all of that to it. And I made a lot of assumptions about her, right? What I failed to see was a human being, mm. was, it almost went into a childlike stage. But I think that's what we talk about unconscious bias. I think that's what we do to each other. I don't yeah. think I'm alone in that. Yeah, I think it's, it's automatic. We make assumptions, and how do we, how do we stop that? 
We first got to be honest. I think you hit it on the head. We're not only not alone, everybody in here and everybody at our campuses deal with this. We have our own blinders. We have our own blind spots, mm -hmm. which is why it is so powerful to humbly listen to people who are different than us. I just feel a strong leading of the Holy Spirit to go back to the whole James Brown thing. Okay. <laughs> um, you said you were mad, and I can only imagine that your, your journey all these years has been a long process of mm -hmm. soul care, yes. dealing with anger, and I know what that is like. That was my default emotion in, in what I grew up in and some of the stuff I endured in, in my journey. I know what that's like, and I've been on that journey of just learning to process and deal with that. So I'd imagine it's been a journey for you, but I just wanna, I wanna pause here for a moment, and I wanna say to anybody who is out there right now, and you're angry, and you're mad, it comes back to this whole idea of us being created equally. Yes. You're never going to be able to be proud about your color until you are able to stand before God and realize God made you that way. Yes. You are Amen. a beloved child of the most high God, and he loves you. It, it's called in big, big theological seminarian kinds of terms, it's called Imago Dei. You are made, every single person who's ever walked on planet Earth or whoever will, we are all made in the image of God. Yes. Which means God is not some white old man floating on clouds. <laughs> Yeah. We're going to have baptism next week. I hope you will come out. We're going to have baptism, big party on the patio. All the campuses, we're going to celebrate baptism. When I think of God, I like to think of the, the color of water. Hmm. It's not much color. It's just, it, it, it's God who has, in all of his diversity and beauty, beauty he's created a beautifully diverse creation. And uh, I just think that's a word for some people here today. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get over your anger... You're going to need to look in the mirror and realize God made you just like that, and you are beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, hey, another, another question or so here as we kind of start to wrap up. What would you say to a white man or woman who is afraid to talk about race? I hear this a lot. I, I think people, lots of people have good hearts, and they want to talk. They're just afraid. They're afraid to talk about it. They're afraid they're going to offend. They're, they're afraid they're going to appear foolish. What would you say to any color-skinned person, for that matter, uh, who wants to talk about it, but they don't really know how? Right. I totally understand that. I'd say don't worry about saying the wrong thing. Don't worry about even offending. Worry about not exercising a voice. Worry about not championing and being an advocate for other people. Let me, let me say it this way. There's a, yes, there's some right and wrong, but the bottom line of it is when we reach out to people, when we, and white males, by the way, out of all the different ways in which we group people, were the group that I had the hardest time with, mm. right? And that is why I think it touched my heart so in, in the tears for you to stand up last Sunday and acknowledge racism and slavery and then to apologize. It was like a bomb, if you will. It was not that I don't understand my history, but when I think a big part of the reconciliation has to come from whites as well. I think we have to join hands in this. So for me, 
what has helped me to navigate my way with white males, because when I look at my journey and I look at the hands that are reached out that helped me along the way, oftentimes those hands were of white males, right? Mm. And so when we have this distance between us and we don't know what to say to each other and we're awkward, you know, when we approach people in honesty with the spirit of listening, mm. listening not for judgment, but to be understood, but also listening to understand and to share, right? And then taking some ownership. None of us don't know what we don't know, mm. right? And so when we dare to put ourselves out there, to be courageous and to understand, and I, I have to say this, I have to say this to all of us, but particularly my white brothers and sisters. Listen, when you say, I'm not racial, racist, my best friend was black, my next door neighbor, right? Don't, don't do that. Really, don't do that. Don't do Let, that. Please don't do that. Don't do that. Let, That's so good. That's so good. We are all biased. There's no way we cannot be. And if yeah. we had a long time, I'd talk to you about it. You can come to my conference on the 10th and I'll tell you. But anyway, so, um, so where I'm going with this is we live in a society that unfortunately race has colored everything. Colored everything. It has colored everything. Our institutions, our processes, there are certain places where we include and where we exclude, and sometimes it's, oftentimes it's based on race, but we know there are other type things it's based on sometimes, right? So what I would say is reach out. Mm. I, I heard you say this last Sunday, and you were so on target. When you have a dinner party, look around the table, mm -hmm. who's there in your workplaces, who are you most comfortable with? And those of us who are in, in positions where we make decisions about people's livelihood and what they earn, look at mm. who's excluded and who you're advancing. And the other thing is be willing, be willing to ask. Ask somebody who looks different than you. Ask somebody that you typically don't be involved with. But when we ask, we've gotta be open to listening. Yeah. And I won't share the, all the particulars, but Pastor Benji and I was talking when I came in this week, and he asked me a question about just something that had to do with race. And I really had to sit there because, you know, you're bigger than life. You don't understand that. But I thought, do I really tell him what I think? And then that thing in me, which is the God thing, is mm. yes. Absolutely. Yes, you do. You mm. tell him the truth as you know it, right? Mm. And so I think that when we step back and we ask questions, because I consider myself the inclusion queen, but I still get it wrong. I yeah. mess up all the time. And the people who love me and really care about me and who are my friend, and particularly those who are white or other races other than African-Americans, when they tell me this is what I hear, this is what I see, then I can't say that that's not happening, right? I've got to be willing to step back and, and reflect. Yeah. Right, reflect to say, you know, I do look at the world as a different lens. Is this what I'm saying? Is this what I'm portraying? So I think just being willing to listen, to hold ourselves accountable for our actions and not put our head in the sands and say, oh, well, I'm not biased and um, it's just people making a lot of noise. No, there are people who are being hurt. There are people who are being left off. And racism is insidious. Biases is insidious. It separates us when we are a lot more alike than not. Mm. And the thing that's in the center of that is fear. It is fear. When we step back and give other people the benefit of the doubt, it's amazing what we mm. come to learn about each other, even in the context of the church. That's good. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sign off to the campus. This Father, I thank you. Thank you for this holy ground on which we sit and stand at all of our campus locations and what makes it holy, Lord God, is you. And I believe what amplifies its holiness is the topic that we've been covering. God, we believe this honors you. We believe this blesses you. And God, we thank you that this is what you are doing at New Hope. Lord, none of us have arrived. We have so far to go. But we thank you that we're listening to each other. We thank you that we're growing. And we thank you that you're growing something incredibly beautiful. Have your way here today, Lord God. Have your way into the future. And may you continue to ordain and anoint New Hope to be the fulfillment of this vision that we see in Ephesians, that we might be a beacon of faith, hope, and love for the world to see. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you, yeah, honor God one more time and sign off to the campuses.